Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. This morning our scripture lesson comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, the 13th chapter. What I want you to do as you listen to these words, I want you to think of them as a continuation of what we read last week and the week before. Really, when you think about it, what Paul is saying in verse in chapters 12 and 13 is really like a super mega chapter, if you will, in the Bible. It's one major part of the letter. So this is almost the third part of what Paul is trying to tell the church. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over all my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irrefutable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we only know in part, and we only prophesy in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I only know in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Open our ears, O Lord, that we may hear. Open our souls, O Lord, that we may let those words change us. So that as we sing our final amen today, that we may go forth from this time together in worship, no matter where we are, and that we may be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. When I was in college and then ultimately seminary, and even as I started my career with friends in ministry, whenever we got together, there was a group of us that liked to play cards. We really liked to play spades. There's something about that game for me that just, it's, it's a lot of strategy, it's a lot of fun. You don't have to do a ton of thinking, or at least I don't. Uh, that's what I like about it. And so if you think about this, the great thing about it is you play with a partner, you've got, you're playing an opposing team with their partners. 
you sort of think how many tricks you're going to win based on the cards you're holding and the cards you think your partner is holding and vice versa. And then you start to play. Now, the crazy thing about this is every once in a while, you have this rhythm that you develop. You look at your hand and you're just sure how it's going to play out. And then something happens early in the game that turns it upside down. I can remember one game, it seemed like I was holding a handful of aces, a handful of kings, and almost all the queens. And I thought, this is it. This is going to be the one. We're going to take all 13. So it was my turn to lead, and I put the ace of hearts down. My opponent put down a low heart. My partner put down a low heart. If you know anything about spades, the biggest downfall of hubris is the spade itself. And the other opponent, the last one to play, put down the two of spades. And it was that moment as he trumped my hand that I realized, uh-oh, my vision, my dreams, my hopes for this hand were going to be turned upside down. It changes everything because all of a sudden I realized that someone was holding the trump card for every play I wanted to make. See, that trump card changed everything about that hand. It changed it all. And I think about what Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and what he's telling them and what we've been looking the last couple of weeks, how we've been wrestling with that and how he's talked about this idea of spiritual gifts and how each one of us has one and we're to use it for the common good and how we are a body of Christ knit together by God's Holy Spirit and that being knit together that we have been gifted with this wonderful opportunity, if we'll just focus on our unity to use our gifts for the good of the world and how as we do that, that we realize that as we're knit together in this body, that we all celebrate when one of us celebrates. We all hurt when one of us hurts. That it's us against the world in ministry and in unison. And so as he gets to that end of that section, he's talking about this idea of what matters, he says, but folks, let me tell you, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. That's how last week's reading ended, and I will show you a more excellent way. And so this week we begin chapter 13, and he leads into what that most excellent way is. He says, I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels and have not love. I am but a noisy gong and a clashing cymbal. See, love is that most excellent way. It's what changes the world. It's what Paul was telling the church at Corinth. If you have love, you can change everything. No matter what the world thinks the agenda is, if we have love, we can turn it on its ear. He tells us that love makes everything worthwhile, that love has very specific qualities, that love outlives and outshines all the other values that we might hold true. Essentially, love trumps everything in the kingdom of God. Those first three verses, Paul states that with our gifts and our actions, that if we employ them without love, that we fall short of the glory that God wants for us. To really understand what he's talking about, think about it in terms of, say, sports. Like if you decided that you wanted to go to a sporting event, a live sporting event, to a sport you have never really looked at, never really watched, don't know much about, you thought, but this will be fun. So maybe you want to go to, say, 
a hockey match, maybe over at the annex and see the Thunderbirds play. You know, if you just go by yourself and you don't know anything about the game or maybe just what you've read on Wikipedia and you go in there, you might be lost for a while. I mean, the energy will catch you eventually, but you won't understand what's happening on the ice and you won't understand why the whistle blows here and why they face off there and all that. But imagine the difference if you go with someone that is a hockey fan. Someone that is invested in the sport, someone that is eat up with hockey, and they realize that they've got someone, you know what they want to do? This is their sport. They're going to tell you everything because they want you to fall in love with it too. And especially if, say, they're a fan of the Thunderbirds, they're going to tell you not only all about what's happening on the ice, but all the other ancillary stuff that happens while the crowd dances to this song or that song or whatever. Who are the players to watch out for? See, going with this person that loves the game changes your appreciation of it, right? It makes it that much better. So think about what happens in life if we sort of approach life, if we love life, if we love using our gifts, if we love making a difference. Think about the difference that we make. I mean, you can do something nice because you have to, and you kind of get to check the box, right? But think about if you do something nice for someone because you want to, you get a different feeling. And guess what? They get a sense of it too. They may never tell you, but they can tell when you're doing it because you have to versus when you're doing it because you want to. See, when we employ our gifts, when we are the church, when we do that with love, then our gifts have greater meaning. We're using God's gift not only for the help of individuals, but for the sake of the world. Our work matters because we do it with love. So we think about this idea of what is love. We think about what Paul is doing is he's telling the congregation at Corinth this. He's telling us to take what God has given you and do it with love. Don't just do it, but use this love. This most excellent way. So he gets into it. He tells them what love is. And he uses this technique that, that's called sort of a negative proof technique. So the way I would describe a negative proof technique is sort of like when my grandfather started taking painting and wanted to dabble in it. He went to an art show and we asked him later about how was he goes, well, I don't know what great art is, but I can tell you what it's not. And he was describing this picture that was like, you know, a white canvas with a red dot. And he goes, really, why were people losing their mind over this painting? He says, Glenn, even you could do that. My favorite painting, by the way, is one that I do. It's called a piece of paper with three white dots, two at the top, one in the middle. I call it polar bear lost in a snowstorm. You can use that one, too. I'll let you paint that. But anyway, that's what it is. And so this idea of this whole thing is using this negative proof. So he goes into it. He says, that, yeah, love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not selfish. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It's not spiteful. Those are all the things that love is not. So when we get to get a picture of that love must be the other things, think about those words. They're all inwardly focused. They're all selfish, aren't they? They're all about us. And he says, love is not that. Love is when we look outward. It's an outward focus. Love is things like being patient and kind. It's bearing all things, enduring all things, hoping all things. Love is what happens 
We look beyond ourselves and we look out upon the world and we say, God has blessed me and I must use those blessings for the good of the world. What he's really talking about is he's talking about love at a much deeper level. It's not that romantic kind of love that we see with couples when they come to the altar and we normally read 1 Corinthians 13. There's nothing wrong with reading that at a wedding because it sets up an idea for marriage of how couples should practice love. And think about it. How are they practicing it? One spouse focused on the other, not on themselves. But he's talking about something deeper than that romantic love, deeper than a family love. He's talking about a love that embraces the world no matter what, warts and all. I mean, think about it. This idea of love in which no matter who we run into, that we're going to love them. Why? Because they're a child of God. Why? Because we are gifted to do that. To love the world, to love everyone we meet. So in the final part of the passage, he talks about this idea of using love as a living, that it's a lasting kind of love. It hopes and endures all things. And the greatest of these is love. See, when we as individuals or we as the body of Christ as a church, when we lead with love that embraces the world, we sort of cast this bright light that all the world sees. I think about it this week, there was a boating accident on Ocracoke Island. There was a, sh- there was a boat that was out uh, in the Atlantic and they decided they wanted to come in for the night into Ocracoke Harbor. And how they missed the harbor entrance, I don't know. How they missed the lighthouse, I don't know, but at least... They were safely ashore. They ran aground, but they're safely ashore. No one was hurt. But I think about this idea of lighthouses, that they're dot the North Carolina coast because back in the days before GPS and everything else, as you were sailing up the coast of the U.S., the East Coast, when you got to North Carolina because of the way we jut out, the way the Gulf Stream works and everything else, the water's treacherous. And so those lighthouses all the way up the coast help people know where they were and how to stay safe. It gave them hope. It gave them direction. It gave them the sense of, of purpose to navigate by. Friends, the church is the same way. We are essentially a lighthouse right where we are. And wherever you go in the world, as you practice your faith, you are a lighthouse in your mission field. So when we treat others the way we want to be treated, it matters. When we're the church with our doors and our arms wide open to the world and say to the world, come on in. We don't care how you define yourself. We don't care what the world is done to you. We don't care what you're burdened with. We don't care about that. We just want you to come in and be here and we will love you because of who you are and whose you are. And we'll find a way to heal your wounds. We'll find a way to grow together. And we will love you because you are simply a child of God. Folks, when we do that, it matters. When we listen to each other, it matters because we learn from each other. I talked this last week. We talked about the parable of the prodigal son. I said, you know, sometimes we tell that story and you start to talk to your friends about it. Maybe you're one of three characters. You're either the father, the older brother, or the prodigal son. And as I went outside, I learned something new because I was willing to listen. I'm not saying this to give me a gold star. But one of you came up to me and said, you forgot about the fourth character. And I thought, I have read this passage a thousand times. Who was the fourth character? And she said, the servant. You know, the one that had to go and get the ring and the cloak, the one that had to go and get the fatted calf, the one that had to prepare the banquet. I sat there and I thought, how did I miss this? We learn from each other and each other's perspective 
about how God is speaking to us when we listen to each other, and that matters. When we care about each other and our mental health, it matters. We show the world that we love it and each other. I mean, the, the program that our Shining Light on Mental Health group is doing tonight is vital for these times. I mean, let's be clear. This global pandemic has taken its toll on us physically, mentally, and emotionally. It matters. When we choose to major in the Gospels, major in the things that matter, following Jesus Christ and transforming the world, and when we choose to minor in the things that support that compassion and kindness and care, it matters and we make a difference in the world around us. And so when we do that as individuals, when we do that as a congregation, we truly are that lighthouse that is shining a light in the darkness in the world around us. So think about what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and what Paul is writing to us right here in the 21st century. There's this realization that each of us has been given a gift from God and it's a perfect gift, tailor-made for each of us as individuals. And that we've been given this gift to use it for the common good. That we are a part of a body of believers in which we are essential, no more important than the others, but an essential component, an essential part with an important role. And we have a responsibility for each other to care for each other, to celebrate with each other, but to work with each other to make a difference in the world around us. And if we take that knowledge and we go forth in that most excellent way, using this idea of love that Paul is writing about. Think about how love will glorify all that we do. It will glorify God in heaven. Have we take that outward focus and we're not looking at ourselves, not worried about us, but worried about the world. That the light of the gospel shines brightly. And the church that Christ envisions, the church that Paul is writing to, that it shines brightly for all the world to see. And that whole idea of love trumps everything else. So no matter what we get into, no matter what you run into this week, if you lead with love, you can't go wrong. If we employ our gifts with love, we can't go wrong. See, love is what unites us. Love of God and love of neighbor is what makes us special. And that's what we're called to share with the world. So let us go forth. Let us share that love so that all may know that faith, hope, and love, they all endure. But the greatest of these is love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.